the Links and Locks podcast. podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm Roberto Arguello, and I'm excited to be joined by Spencer Aguiar this week. Unfortunately, our third member of our crew, Nick Bretwish, is not available this week. He's celebrating the 4th of July and celebrating the return of the hammer kid who cashed that Callum Terran top 40 plus 270, his best bet of the week last week. But we're on to the John Deere Classic this week on the heels of Ricky Fowler's first win in four years coming last week at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. This week, it's the Rock, it's the John Deere Classic. And two weeks before the Open Championship, one week before the now co-sanctioned event, the Scottish Open over there across the pond, not a lot of players, at least at the top of the PGA Tour, are in the field this week at the John Deere Classic. It might be a tournament that only a gambler could love, but you know what? We love it. We're excited. The money pays the same. And we've got some bets that we're excited about to share with you guys in just a few minutes. So, Spencer, welcome to the show. What is your best bet for the John Deere Classic this week? You know, it's it's very close, Roberto. We were talking about this right before we came on air here. And all these wagers for me are very in the same ballpark. So, you know, I think like the best way would be he listened throughout the entire show. We'll give a bunch of plays on here to talk about. I don't have anything that's like exponentially standing out compared to something else, but I will go with Eric Cole minus 115 over Ben on for the sake of this section this week. Been betting a lot of Eric Cole so far this year. He's a guy who is very familiar winning. Excited to hear that cap in just a moment. And I'm going to go with Ches Reevy, 58th or better at minus 120 in the bet 365 placement markets. But first, let's hear why you're on Eric Cole over Benny on. So there were two golfers that I wanted to gain exposure to this week in some capacity. Uh, This might end up being a little bit of a spoiler because neither one of these two names end up making my outright card here. I was trying to figure out a way to get exposure in a different area. But the first is going to be Eric Cole, which we'll talk about in a second. The other was Steven Yeager. I really like Yeager this week. I do think he has upside to win this event. I didn't get there with either in the outright market at this point, but Cole has a really interesting situation brewing right now between books and the public. I've seen his name repeatedly listed as an outright wager by many in the space. That's usually troubling when most shops are reversing odds and are actually going the opposite direction with most of these head-to-head matchups by listing him as an underdog. That's obviously not something that we want to see. Um, It's noteworthy enough to mention because places aren't respecting him in nearly any capacity. But as is always the case with my eventual head-to-head selection, this is more of a play against Ben on than anything else when we're getting technical here. On experience, a 49-spot decrease at this property for expected strokes gain total because of his poor history at Birdie Fest. My numbers listed him 83rd in this field when given this sort of a setup. And then while the recalculated birdie potential did surprisingly receive a spike in various ways of how I ran my sheet, the long-term TPC scoring wasn't enough to undo one of the five most mispriced players in my model who got listed at sub 100 to one on the board. Personally, I tend to believe that shops are still a little slow to react to Cole's potential. We've seen similar situations over the last few weeks with names like Carson Young, but the one difference for me here is that Cole has steadily provided this output within my model during almost every event over the last few months. You know, I I think the outright price is fine for anybody who did get there. I don't necessarily even have a problem with that, but even if he doesn't win, I like betting more on the safety here that he's generated over the past few contests that he's had over these past few months and take him on against the golfer with Ben on here that, you know, it's just, there's too many red flags that are brewing in my model. It doesn't mean he's going to miss the cut. I'm not even necessarily predicting that, but I've said it a lot recently, Roberto, the head to head market has been my bread and butter. And and this is over the course of like five years of me producing content. But for me to be coming on these shows for the last month, and like, I don't have a head to head that I feel super confident about kind of just shows where the market is right now with some of these matchups, like pricing has gotten much more sound across the board. I, I think books are doing a better job pricing these things. So like minor changes have to get made to account for that. But 
I still thought minus 115 was a little too short there for a golfer that has kind of just moved the wrong way in the eyes of the books, at least. I think that makes a lot of sense. And a lot of times we've mentioned this on the pod throughout the year, books are putting or pitting players who are similar um, strengths, good putters, short hitters against each other uh, who are solid on approach. But this is a different one where you've got one of the best putters on the PGA Tour and Cole against one of the worst putters on the PGA Tour in Benny On. Not one of the worst, but uh, not one of the better ones right now. He has been previously like the worst of the worst. He's not that bad this year, but he's still not great uh, or even average. So I really like this play, and I'm going to tell you on it. So let's let's ride with Eric Cole. To double down on that really quickly, Robert, I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry about no, that. Good. But uh, it also pits, you know, one of the longest players in this field in Ben On versus a guy in Eric Cole that doesn't necessarily do his damage off the tee. So I think it's a really good point that you mentioned that I just didn't want to gloss over here. Like when I'm going to try to find these head-to-head matchups, because I do think that whether it's similar strengths against each other, whether it is fade candidates that books have clearly gotten the understanding of like who is in the eyes of models not going to perform well, who's going to perform well. All those golfers continually keep getting posted against each other. This was a situation for me, like it was the one outlier spot that I could find on the board where I found one profile one way, another profile going in the other direction. I like the distance that Ben on brings to the table. That's kind of why I don't think he inevitably misses the cut here but as i said he's one of the most mispriced players for me because he's outside the top 40 in my model while being listed as a guy that's more of like a fringe top 10 sort of play this week yeah and you mentioned um eric cole and how he scores he's won on he won on the i believe the minor league pro tour uh over there in florida like 58 times including when everybody saw him emerge on the national stage at the Honda Classic, he's out there that week, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, in Florida, playing another Pro Tour tournament uh, for a grand prize of like 20, 30 grand. Uh, he's a grinder. He's a winner. He's won more than anybody else in this field, not necessarily on the PGA Tour, but he's won in professional circuits. And on a lot of those other circuits, you got to make birdies to do it. And he knows how to do that as well as anybody. I think he is absolutely someone who could win the tournament this week and also has that high floor which is a rare combination in this field which we only have two players in the owr owgr top 30 uh with cam young number 19 and russell henley Nick's boy at number 29 uh, i'm sure we'll touch on your guy cameron young and paul tesori shortly let's get into my best bet uh ches Revi, 58 or better i like him for a variety of reasons first he is very accurate off the tee, even though he's short. But last week, he continued his strong form on approach. He's gained strokes on approach 10 times in his last 12 events, including three straight starts where he's gained at least three and a half strokes gained on approach. So really surging of late on, on top of really solid form overall. And did I mention that last week at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, he led the field in strokes gained approach, gaining over 2.15 strokes per round. And he did it by actually quite a wide margin. Unfortunately, the Rocket Mortgage Classic, a little bit more of a bomber friendly course than this one. So I really like how TPC Deer Run suits him as a much shorter course. Uh, the question for him, for me this week, is strokes gained around the green. He's lost strokes gained around the green in nine out of 10 starts at the John Deere Classic. Can he? Limit that this week. We know the rough is penal. I believe it's a Kentucky bluegrass and fescue mix. It's four inches uh, of rough. So pretty penal this week if you do miss a fairway, which are pretty generous. Um, but overall, really like the form with Revy. And in his last 10 events, he's finished 58th or better nine times. And those are all tougher fields than the one we're seeing this week. So overall, I really like the form for him. I really like the course fit. Uh, I think Revy at 58th or better has great value. I'd bet this down to 50. I think he's um, by far the most mispriced in that market. And I think he's live to win the tournament as well, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, Spencer, any thoughts on Ches Revy? Are you ready to jump into the course preview at TPC Deer Run? No, I mean, we can jump in the course preview. I guess the one thing that I will add that will go into the course preview that we'll talk about in a second here, but these are larger than average greens. If you're telling me that Ches can hit more greens in regulation because of that reason, and maybe... That undoing that you were discussing, like he's a hundredth in my model and strokes gained around the green. That's certainly something that could bring him down. But I, 
I mean, look, like he's been one of the safer players that we can find in this tournament. And it's a watered down field. You mentioned that. I mean, you have Cam Young, you have Russell Henley. You don't have very many other players that are inside of that, like top 25, top 30 in the world here. So um, I think from a safety perspective, it's like one of those answers that we always try to talk about on the show. And I, I don't know, Roberto, you and I have a very similar mindset of how we typically try to bet this finishing position market on bet three, six, five. It's like, find me the guy who is a little bit better than a made cut that can get into the weekend. And if they have a more upside than that, all the better with it. But I have nothing negative to say about Chez with the form that he's bringing to the table. Like the nine out of 10 that you talked about inside that number, uh, everything is trending in the right direction for him. Didn't pop on my model overly. He's never a golfer that does, but he ranked for me 45th overall. So, I mean, if he finishes in 45th place, that bet is a winner there. Absolutely. We'll take that. And uh, one thing I forgot to mention, he gained strokes putting in each of his last nine tournaments before last week at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, where he actually lost strokes gained putting. But I like that overall trend and the overall form with him with the putter. And it's another bent grass week this week. So I'm anticipating him gaining strokes putting this week. And he's shown that he can do it uh, at this course before. Like I said, he's played 10 times at the John Deere Classic uh, with a career best t5 in 2011 so way back then but also t18 in 2021 so uh he's shown that he can do it and he's also missed cuts here so uh the upside's there but i think right now he's playing really solid golf and i love the uh the high floor for him this week but we'll get into the ceiling for him in just a moment but spencer walk me through tpc or deer run and how you weighted things a little bit uh with your model this week yeah, I think if you're going into this week expecting anything other than a birdie fest, you might want to reevaluate the model that you put together. Wide open fairways, the larger than average greens that I just talked about a second ago, those are two things that are quickly pronounced from a statistical output. As the field hits 71% of fairways, a 10% increase over an average event. Unfortunately, though, Roberto, that's kind of where I found the data expectation to take a turn for the worse. Like, most of the scoring dispersion metrics ended up being rather flat in the projection that I found for them. I know everybody wants to call this a putting contest to some extent. I understand that when you need to get to beyond 20 under par to win the contest, but I'm not sure if this is as putter heavy of a venue as you see on the surface. I would call this more of like an opportunities created output and then who can make the putts there. And it's kind of goes to the reason here of what I tried to do with my model. So I tried to find golfers who could take advantage of their expected proximity and then create opportunities versus only who would be most likely to make the putt. I think you create issues when you go toward that flat stick heavy route above anything else. It's not to say that it isn't shifted in that direction marginally. Like that's an obvious answer when guys are winning this tournament at 27 under par, but I prefer doing it with an anticipated make percentage, whether that be from five to 10 feet, uh, how someone has performed historically on soft and fast screens. I just always find it easier to mix opportunities created with putting. If you want to build a more predictive model, when you add that to the handful of course specific calculations, that I did inside my model that will try to mimic the venue. Uh, you get this extremely accessible property that demanded 44% of the projected importance came on the three par fives. I thought that was a rather large percentage since we have 11 par fours that stretch between 361 to 503 yards. You would typically think that over 60% of the holes should equate to more than 30% of the overall grade here. But my model kind of saw this in a way where you needed to score when you were given your opportunities. Like, of course, some of that's going to come on these shorter par fours, but a lot of the outlier holes inside of my model just kind of came down to, could you manage and could you get by? Like you have some longer par fours. And I'm not saying like when you get the 27 under par when Michael Kim won this years ago, you're not going to, it's not going to be a bogey avoidance contest, but it's, it's to say like, you know, look, you have a par four that stretches over 500 yards. Like, let's not make a mistake there. Let's not make a mistake on some of those more difficult holes. So uh, it was kind of more of like safety for my model there and then just massively spring the upside in all the areas of like the par five scoring and the short par fours. And there's some difficult par threes here. I think there's some built-in yardage that you see on the scorecard that's going to come there. But uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like who can make or create the most opportunities who can make the most putts when you merge those two things together? I think that's where the winner ends up coming from. Not necessarily who's the best putter in this field, because I've always said this, Roberto, and, and I am very big believer that people overweigh putting in their model. And I know you can make an argument that I underdo it in the opposite sense here, but what is a made putt worth 
if you're never creating the opportunity to make it, like there's certain golfers out there that, yeah, they're going to be the number one putter in this field, but their iron play is so bad that now they're scrambling the entire round and they're never actually being presented with that opportunity to score. So I think it's something interesting to keep in mind. It's why I'm always looking for ball strikers. But as I said, there's putting entered into this model and it's just a roundabout way of how I did it. Yeah. I'm really looking for guys who can hit the ball well on approach and put the ball well this week. Uh, not normally someone who loves to weigh putting a lot, but I just need to know if someone can spike with the putter. I don't need yeah. them to be a top 20, 50 guy in strokes gain putting for me to bet on them this week. But I really want guys who are strong on approach who can create those opportunities. And uh, the off the tee profile this week didn't, I didn't weigh that super heavily. I think that pretty much any kind of player can win this week to a certain degree, but I think that I wanted to bet on players who had longer numbers just because I don't really trust a lot of the guys at the top of the board at the shorter numbers. Um, so I wanted guys who can have upside and have a few chances for me to hit on them on these longer shot dart throws. Uh, and hopefully one of them gets a contention and we have a nice weekend. But uh, before we get into my card, Spencer, who do you have on your outright card this week at the John Deere Classic? So this is another thing we were talking about before the show. And I think it's a really good conversation to have here. And it's probably going to become a borderline controversial take, even though I don't understand how it could be because like mathematically, obviously what I'm going to say makes sense. But this board from an odds perspective is no worse than we typically get during the more desired designated events. The only difference comes into play is that now all of a sudden you get these raised hold percentages by names of like Adam Shank, Russell Henley, Denny McCarthy versus when it's done with John Rahm or Scotty Scheffler. Um, you know, I think it's psychologically harder for somebody to punch the ticket on Denny McCarthy sub 20 to one. And I understand that, but like the win percentage is still equaled out in the way that the win percentage equals out. And the whole percentage is still running away where the whole percentage is, you know, if a book is holding 160%. And during the designated event, it's holding 180% or, you know, flop those numbers around there. Uh, that's really more of the important quality there and where you can find value. So uh, for me, I thought that there was a lot of names in that 30 to 60 to one range who graded as intriguing options to consider. Uh, I do want to see where Steven Yeager moves. I talked about him a little bit earlier in the show. Uh, there may be an opening for him at some point to enter the fray. Maybe that's from an in-tournament bet, but I have a five-man card right now. Started with Keith Mitchell at 35 to one. Hmm. Uh, he's a golfer that my model's been on a lot. And, you know, it kind of believes that we're getting this opportunity at a reasonable price here because of what many are going to perceive to be poor recent form. The glass half empty answer would be that we haven't gotten a finish better than 20th and 10 starts. Although if you want to take the optimistic response here, which is typically what I try to do, uh, the 20th place finish came at the U.S. Open in his previous appearance. Not to mention that he's made four of his past five weekends. I think the form has turned around more than people realize. The math I run will always love his upside when we get these venues that present the opportunity for him to use his driving acumen. We see that with his first place rank in total driving for TPC Deer Run. And then the TPC success adds a similar ceiling when diving into his fifth place grade. I don't believe it hurts that his birdie or better percentage when putting from five to 10 feet landed him 12th in this field. Uh, that kind of goes to the answer that you're talking about uh, a little bit earlier, Roberto. Like he may not have the iron play that I'm necessarily looking for, but he has that spike ability. If we want to use that word there with the putter to where he can get hot enough with the flat stick, you know, specifically if he does start creating opportunities where I think he's going to get overlooked in the market. I do think he can spike and get himself to over 20 under par to win this. Took Seamus Power at 40 to 1. Uh, another situation here where the recent form are going to keep most from wanting to go this route. But let's not forget that Power has historically been one of the best easy course scorers in the world. My model had him ranked second for this contest when faced with a birdie fest. And it stretches much further than that response when you notice that he repeatedly has given this answer at easy scoring TPC properties in the past. Uh, I'm curious to see where this number goes. I'm kind of under the belief that 40 to one is like the worst of it that you're going to get. I kind of believe that this drifts to 45, 50 to one before it's all said and done. I don't know if you necessarily need to go rushing out there to make this wager, but I think 40 to one is still a perfectly acceptable number. I have no issues recommending that play at that price. It's okay. It's Lee at 60 to one. And it's funny, Roberto, because if you recall power and Lee were the two names that I played at TPC river Highlands a few weeks ago at the travelers uh, that resulted in both missing the weekend, but 
I'm one of those people that never wants to get carried away with one-off situations. Like it's already being built into the model. The floor is going to be lower because of that. I don't want to lose the ceiling potential that I think comes into play. Lee was the biggest climber that I had in my sheet when trying to find where his price was versus what the perception was in my model versus what the upside was. So it's kind of like a three-step process there where the upside boom for him the safety is going to give you that miscut potential that he has at least demonstrated recently. But the upside is what we're looking for in these wagers. I took Sepp Straka at 60 to one. Uh, I very hesitant to use these words and say this player's name on a podcast ever again. But the odds aren't quite the same. This is Thomas Dietrich of last week reincarnated into a new <laughs> wager. Uh, like Straka and Dietrich almost are ideal prototypes of what my model found last week and what my model found this week. And it comes down to the par five scoring metrics. They present this massive red flag. I talked about you needing to score on the par fives here. There's the 44% increase in the one difference last week that Dietrich had. I had an increase in par four scoring. You don't necessarily get that here. Although you do get 11 par four holes. The hope is that Straka can be fine in the par five scoring. They're so easy that he ends up performing there. I think the rest of the uh, metrics that I ran like provide legitimate win equity here. I think there's a realistic chance that he wins this golf tournament. I also think the floor that we talked about recently with Dietrich that ended up biting us could come into play here, but I'm not going to be so overexposed like I was with Dietrich. Like there's no point in losing four units on a golfer in this sort of a field here, but I do think Straka has upside. I do think the upside is there. And then I wrapped my card up with Justin Lauer at 125 to one. That's just a golfer that I've been going to frequently over these past, you know, few weeks here. The approach numbers have spiked for him. Uh, the game is trending in the right direction. I would not be shocked if we saw him put together another first page of the leaderboard sort of performance. Yeah, you're asking for a lot for him to win this event, but it's a watered down field where he has the the nature to find success here in a birdie contest and you know, Lauer is not a golfer. And I always say this, like I run my numbers to be very prototypical and I'm not even meaning to do that to what the sports books are releasing out there in the space. When I look at Lauer and he's a name that all of a sudden jumps to 14th overall for me, like that's something that is noteworthy for me as a golfer outside hundred to one. And that number got even better when I ran it for upside, like it's going to be volatile. It has some of that into the mix, but it's the, it's the standard answer that I always give Roberto. Like, let's shoot for the upside in these wagers and not worry about what the floor is. I completely agree. And that's the whole basis of my card. Shooting for upside, seeing these guys who have the ability to spike on approach and with the putter, uh, which is why Justin Lauer at 125 to 1 is also on my card this week. I've got a six-man card. Uh, so starting with him, uh, also have Ches Revy at 75 to uh, to one, as we outlined earlier in the other bet I had for him, 58th or better. Also going with Mark Hubbard. Um, like you said, sticking to my guns here on this one, um, he had a miscut last week, but he gained strokes on approach in the previous nine consecutive tournaments that he played in. And I have a feeling that if he makes the cut last week, continues that trend, he's at 40 or 50 to one this week. Instead, he doesn't, and he's at 75 to one. He's another one of these short hitters who has legitimate approach upside, but also upside with the putter. Uh, T13 here last year. Give me Mark Hubbard, 75 to one. I'm also going to go Dylan Wu, 90 to one. Uh, guy who's been really good in the first rounds and really poor in the final rounds of tournaments this year, 153rd in uh, final round scoring average. But he's 21st in birdie average, uh, which is fourth best in this field on tour. And then uh, top 62 in birdie or better percentage on par threes, par fours, and par fives. So showing that his birdie average uh, being that high is not because he takes advantage of one type of hole. It's because he does it all the way across the board. And I believe that's going to be very uh, advantageous for him on this golf course where you mentioned, I think eight of the 11 par fours are under 450 yards. So a lot of scoring options, even though there are just three par fives. Um, Dylan Wu also gained strokes on approach in eight of the last nine, gained strokes putting in three straight. So I really like the form. I like the upside. Um, Give me Dylan Wu here, 90 to one. I'm also going Mike, not Michael Kim, 90 to one. Unlike the other guys here, um, he hasn't been consistently putting together the, or he hasn't shown a ton of upside um, as much this year, but he has this tournament scoring record here at 27 under par. He's uh, had some up and down form, no better than T47 and four other starts here, but he has shown uh, like he did with that top 10 at the, at the uh, Wells Fargo, 
he can spike on approach and we know the putter is solid. Uh, other than that, he's not going to spike anywhere else, but, and he's been up and down. So a little bit less consistent compared to some of the other players that I'm betting this week, but Michael Kim at 90 to one, too big of a number for me not to bet him this week, at least with a sprinkle. Uh, he's crafty and I think he can get it done potentially at a course where he's had the, the best week of his life. Uh, I believe he gained over 12 strokes putting on this course when he won uh, and set the uh, and set the tournament scoring record in 2018. Another guy I've been betting for first round leaders frequently whom didn't think had the juice to win a lot of these tournaments, but he does this week. It's Carson Young, 100 to 1. Surging on approach with strokes gain on approach in seven of his last eight tournaments. He also hasn't lost strokes putting in his last eight consecutive tournaments as well. Uh, tied for third in another birdie fest in Puerto Rico earlier this year. Unfortunately, there was no data there. And this is his tournament debut. But all in all, I think he's worth a sprinkle and potentially another first round leader play, depending on if he has an earlier tee time, uh, which will come out later this afternoon. We're recording this on Tuesday, July 4th. Happy 4th to everybody out there uh, in the morning. And then finally, my last guy on the card, Sam Ryder at 110 to 1. Another short hitter who, who can spike with uh, his approach play or with his putter. Tied for second in his tournament debut here in 2018. And he's made the cut in all four appearances. So if you want to find a way to maybe back up in a matchup against somebody you want to fade or uh, you find another placement market bet on him, which haven't found one on him yet. Uh, Sam Ryder, I think, has upside, but also I think he has a, a high floor this week. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, Spencer, I want to touch on your guy, Keith Mitchell, in our next segment when we get to placement market bets because I've got to play on him. But any thoughts on any of those other outright plays? Yeah, so I'm really happy that you mentioned Ryder. Um, that was kind of the exact skill set that I was looking for this week. The ability from a weighted proximity sense at this venue, he got an increase in my model. He's also one of the best putters in the world. So like that is the 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 prototypical like background of the nature that I'm looking for of a player. And my model loved him. You know, there's only so many names that you can play. Like, I mean, obviously, like if money didn't matter and units and exposure didn't come into play. Like, give me everybody on the board and we'll figure out a way to hit a winner here. That's not how this actually works. Like, you have to have a you have to have a real reason behind everything. Every single bet, there's a repercussion that comes into play, whether that's a financial repercussion or just a, a repercussion from it lowers the next name that you can put on there. Like, you can't bet everybody is what I'm going down to with this answer. And uh, there were two names for me that I tried very hard to fit into the card, and I do have room for them. And maybe it's just because I'm saving it from an in-tournament bet, but... Sam Ryder, Nate Lashley, those were the two guys for me that I tried every way possible to figure out how I wanted to put them onto the card. Um, I do think that if there was a player up there that I didn't end up getting to, it would probably be Ryder just because of that putting plus approach play that he has. My model also really liked Mark Hubbard. Uh, that is not a shock. That's an every week answer at this point. Um, I worry about his win equity. I don't know, like, it's going to be painful if he wins this contest after all the weeks that I've backed them at like 400 to one. And now he actually has an opportunity to probably win one of these in a non-designated event. And I'm not on him, but I mean, that's another name to keep in mind. But I think Ryder is a really intriguing option to where I don't know if I necessarily think the safety on him is or the floor is as high as you would. Um, but then again, in this sort of a market, that does not matter. Like, Mm -hmm. shoot for as much upside as you can find. I think he has a lot of reasons to be considered as like a top 10, top 20 sort of bet also where you're shooting for a little bit more of that upside than you would try to find in a top 40. And maybe that's where I eventually get to Ryder this week as like as a top 10 wager. But um, I, I like that play, Roberto. I'll also mention that the first three guys who missed my card are Nick Taylor at 42 to one, Eric Cole, 35 to one, and Chris Kirk at 32 to one. I'm still reserving the right to add Chris Kirk to my card before the tournament starts. Uh, the 32 to one number, I wasn't super excited about. I think it's a very fair price, 
but I really like his recent uh, approach play, and we know he's got the putting upside as well. Uh, T14 for him last week, really solid, solid approach week. So I really like Chris Kirk. If Nick Taylor hadn't have won the Canadian Open a couple weeks ago, I think he'd be a lot shorter, but I don't think I'm ready to bet on him to win outright twice in a month. Uh, Eric Cole, 35 to 1. You mentioned him earlier. I really like him. I'm not ready to bet on him at that number. But Chris Kirk, I think, is in a different tier than a player like Eric Cole. Um, oddly enough, they played in that uh, playoff at the Honda Classic with Kirk emerging victorious. But I really like Kirk. Um, not ready to get it at 32. Maybe if it floats up to 35, 40, I'll, I'll punch the ticket. Um, but otherwise, I'll keep digging. Any thoughts on Chris Kirk this week uh, to maybe push me over the uh, the edge on him? I mean, I think, unfortunately, the answer that you gave is probably right. I also like Chris Kirk. Um, I would say more so in that, I don't know, 40 to 1 range, 45 to 1 range is more of where I would want to be. Like, that's where my model has proper. But, no, I mean, it. my my math loves him from when I ran this from a weighted strokes gain total perspective uh, inside the top six of my model there. And, I mean, that's the most predictive nature of what we're trying to find. Like, of all the numbers that I run – Weighted strokes gain total should be the most uh, rollover predictive of anything that I'm using here. So I I agree with you. I think he's in a different class than the rest of these names. I think because we've gotten some erratic results from him over the last little bit, like maybe this number isn't exactly where you would expect it to be. But uh, we know that when he puts it together, he's a top 20 sort of machine here. And uh, with there not being a ton of names at this tournament that we necessarily think are those elite golfers, um, I very much wanted to consider Chris Kirk. It just comes down to like, I mean, how many names, like I've, I've named Kirk, I've named Jaeger. Like these are options. I, Eric Cole, I think makes sense too. Like, I don't have a problem with it. Even if the sports books are moving it the other way, like those are 35 ish to one options in every single one of those spots where I'm not going to be shocked if any of those three names win this golf tournament. But you know, once I add one, there's more exposure there than you actually think. And then, hmm. you know, if you add two, all of a sudden your card is diminished. And I decided to go the route of Keith Mitchell and uh, Seamus Power instead. But like, they're all in that same ballpark range for me. It's just very minor differences. I agree. And I think that my strategy this week is going to be have all these guys between 75 and 125 to one on my card, have those guys in that 30 to 50 to one range that I like that, when I see what I need to see from them early on in the round, or maybe they get to a spot on the course where they could take advantage, or I think they're going to make a couple, couple birdies and then bet on them right before that. Maybe that's the way I go um, this week, live betting. Um, well, we agreed on Chris Kirk. I want to touch on Keith Mitchell, whom I, I don't want to say we disagree, but we're betting him in different ways. Uh, I do agree that I think he has a ton of upside in this field as a guy who bombs the ball. And not only is he a bomber, because oftentimes we associate bombers with being a little bit more erratic off the tee. He is one of the rare bombers who is actually very accurate off the tee, above average ac driving accuracy, um, and also a really strong putter. And you mentioned that T20 at the U.S. Open in his most recent start, uh, gained over six strokes putting. And I think, and you mentioned, you touched on the approach play for him, which is exactly why I'm fading him for 36th or worse at minus 120. Um, lost strokes on approach in eight out of the last nine tournaments, finished 36 or better, just two of his last nine starts. Yes, normally... Those have been much tougher fields than this one. And he's also lost strokes around the green in seven of eight. So if he misses some of these bigger greens and gets himself into trouble, he could struggle to make some pars here. Um, I think he has upside. So if you want to bet Keith Mitchell, you should bet him for top 10, top five to win. If you want to fade him, fade that lower floor because of his approach play. I just don't know how many opportunities he's going to set up for himself. Uh, if he has to take less than driver on some of these holes where there are some forced layups. And here at the John Deere Classic, he's got a T7 and he's got a cut, uh, a miscut in two starts. So that shows just kind of the erratic um, potential finishes that he has this week. I'm betting him at 36 or worse just because I think that's a higher floor than he should have implied this week. Uh, although if you want to back him for upside, uh, you won't have me putting up an argument against you. Yeah, I mean, he has negative trajectory in my model for safety. And I mean, like, we see that with the recent results. Like, I, I talked about there being one finish that's, like, in the last 10 that's even noteworthy to talk about. I guess the one thing that I liked about Keith Mitchell that I am kind of hanging my hat on and hoping that this is what turns it around, 24 spot improvement in my model in weighted proximity for this venue over the prototypical expectation that you would expect from him. 
uh, on any generic course out there. So if the irons can be a little bit better than we've seen from him, you know, historically, or at least in the year 2023, I, I do think that the ceiling here and the floor both kind of equal the safer version than maybe what we've gotten specifically when we're talking about such a, uh, bottom barreled sort of field to where like, to me, he's a legitimate, I don't know. I mean, like I can tell you what my model has, but I'm trying to play like the safe answer here. Like, I think he's a legitimate top 10 win equity option. I think the books are agreeing with that, with the way that they're pricing him. But I, I do believe that like, that's about the safe area. And even when you look at some of those miscuts, Roberto, or the bad finishes that he's put together, like he has skyrocketed these boards on day one, or at least for half of a round. And then he has gone more ice cold than anybody I've ever seen. Like there was a couple of events ago. I mean, he was like six under par through eight holes. And then he ends up missing the cut. So that's kind of what you get with Keith Mitchell. But there's an ability inside of my model for him to make putts from the distances that I'm looking at. And then there's the upside from the proximity, if you want to call it upside, that at least he's better than he typically is. But I would generally agree with the sentiment that you discussed here, like, He's a boomer bust option where I just believe he's a little bit safer than I guess you would believe he is like for safety in my model. I have him 24th overall, but that's a big difference from him being sixth overall. Like you see the downside taking place when you try to run this for safety. I believe the turn, one of the, one of those tournaments you're mentioning uh, is the Memorial where I believe I had him 47th or 48th or worse that week is my best bet. And he goes out and shoots like four or five under and the first round is in the top 20 going into the final round. I think he shot like six, seven over in that final round and finished exactly T48 to cash my bet. I think Nick might have been on the opposite side of that bet, uh, which would have been a very painful beat for him. But yeah, he's got to hold it together. And that was the one tournament out of his last nine that he's played where he did gain strokes on approach and he still didn't even cash that bet. Um, he's He's been a very interesting case study. And on a very different golf course than the ones he's been playing, I think it's really interesting to see how he does this week, no matter what happens. Uh, we're going to learn something. Spencer, do you have any other bets on your placement market in, in the placement markets this week? So I have two finishing position bets on bet three, six, five to talk about on this show. Uh, I'm going to go back to Sepp Straka. It's not going to be as outrageous of exposure as we talked about with Dietrich here, but Sepp Straka 50th or better at minus 120. The one thing I noticed here is the price on his top 40s either equals this minus 120 or exceeds this number at pretty much any shop in the space. I will take an extra 10 finishing position spots to grab the same price on a golfer. I already have an outright ticket on this week. And then this kind of goes to the answer that we're talking about of trying to find these guys that we believe are going to make the cut and go from there. I took Will Gordon at 65th or better at minus 120. My numbers found this to be a good course fit for him. We do have some of that built-in volatility also in this position here that he's going to exhibit frequently, but he landed inside the top 40 of five of the seven categories that I ran numerically. I'm just hoping that when you put him specifically on this venue, that some of that up and down nature kind of goes the opposite way. Like these are wagers for me. And this is how, I mean, unless there's something that just, you know, really breaks the bank in my model for it and just really pushes me in a different direction. Like these are always wagers that are 0.60 units to one win 0.5. Uh, it's going to be very small bets in that. Like a head to head bet for me is always to win one. And then as I've talked about, the outrights are now to win seven. But uh, I just think there's nice little small wagers to try to get bankroll building opportunities here. And I'm going to bet on the opportunity that I believe that Gordon puts himself into the position to make the cut. And then if he does just finish a little bit better than that, and I, uh, you know, he'll be better than 65th or better. Before I jump into the rest of my placement market bets, I want to give a reminder that the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION, that's A-C-T-I-O-N, to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer. Bet $1 on any game and get $200 in bonus bets. Must be 21 or older. Offer is available in Colorado, New Jersey, Ohio, and Virginia in the U.S. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, so you Nick would be proud with your Will Gordon bet. That is an absolute roller coaster ride that I'm not ready to strap in for, but I wish you the best of luck, and I do reserve the right to, to place a first-round leader bet on him. Um, I want to workshop a bet with you because I have come on this show just about every week for the last, couple, last two months and bet on Christian Bezaden out outside of the majors. And there's an option to bet him at 53rd or better in the placement markets at bet 365 at minus 120, which I like. Um, 
Once again, he's another short hitter I'm targeting who's really solid everywhere else. Tied for second in his only appearance here in 2022, where he gained over eight strokes putting. So we know that he's an elite putter, especially on these bent grass surfaces. And he's also gained strokes on approach in nine of his last 10 of tournaments, last 10 tournaments, sorry. Uh, although the putting has been up and down for him lately, he does have that spike ability. Uh, I didn't quite get to him on my outright card, but he's somebody else I considered. Uh, I think he's got a really high floor here this week because of that improved approach play. And I wanted your advice, uh, Spencer, whether I should bet him for 53rd or better or at, at minus 120 or bet him at minus 110 in a matchup over a guy whom I want to fade in Taylor Montgomery. Montgomery is a guy who just doesn't have it with his irons. Uh, he was really solid in the fall swing where he putted the lights out and just was a top 20 machine. But since the calendar has changed to 2023, he's really struggled on a lot of these, what I would just call tougher golf courses uh, where you need to be more precise. And I want to fade him. Is it worth fading him in this matchup to get an extra 10 points of value uh, to get an extra 10 points at minus 110, I should say, or just because now 53rd or better, what would you do? I will say this. I think that minus 110 number in the head-to-head matchup is a good price there that you're getting. I've seen these two placed against each other or pitted against each other where this has stretched out into the minus 130, minus 140 range. So uh, that price is beating most books by 20 or 30 points there. And, you know, I'm a big believer in closing line value. Um, I think if you can over time consistently beat the closing price, uh, you at least prove that you are in a position to where you should be winning more wagers. Like it, it matters, I guess, is what I'm I'm trying to say here. I, I think some people discount that at the end of the day. I will say I kind of like Montgomery a little bit this week. Um, I, I'm not as low on him as the market seems to be. So it would be a number grab. I mean, anytime that you can beat it by 20, 30 points, that's fine. I like Bezadenhout. I guess I prefer the 53rd or better and just paying a little bit extra juice there because I do think Montgomery gets himself into the weekend. And uh, to me, this is one of those spots that if Bezadenhout is going to win that matchup against Montgomery, I think it probably comes in one of those positions where he has to land in the top 50 to do it. So uh, I would rather play it the safer route and just give 10 extra points there. Cause I agree with your general assessment of Bezaden out. Like he's another golfer that I was trying to figure out a way to get exposure to. I don't know if I necessarily want to do it in an outright sense there, but I think when we talk about some of these like flatter markets, whether it be a placement bet or a finishing position wager here, there's a lot to like about his profile for how he fits for this venue. And uh, you may have talked me into that being my third finishing position, but this might be the end pod play for me there. All right, let's do it. I'm I'm locking in that 53rd or better, and uh, we got the in pod play. I'll, I will say that if I'm going to fade Taylor Montgomery, I'd be more comfortable doing it on a course where it's going to be tough to, tougher to putt and where it's just more penal all around, uh, where it's tougher to drive the ball as well. And this week, he does have an advantage off the tee if he can put the ball in the fairway and his putter can bail him out and at least get him into the weekend where anything can happen. So I do like that assessment. I'll be locking him in at, or locking Cbez in at 53rd or better. And then matchup play. I've got one that I like. It is juiced, so I'm not going to play it for more than a half unit. But Emiliano Grillo, minus 135 over JT Poston. I just thought that these are two players who are going in opposite trajectories. Uh, Grillo... Of course, we know he won recently uh, up there in uh, at Colonial, but his form's really solid. He's a much better approach player right now than JT Poston. And Grio, like Christian Bazadenhout, T2 here in 2022, but this is Grio's only appearance at the John Deere Classic. Uh, and Poston, like I said, his form is poor. Gained strokes on approach in just two of his last seven tournaments. And in that span, he's missed five of seven cuts with no finishes better than a T38. Uh, you might ask, why is JT Poston even allowed to be matched up against Creel? It's because Poston is getting that uh, win bump from winning this tournament last year. And I think he's just being put into a class of player that he's not in right now against Creel. I don't love the minus 135 price. I don't like betting these juiced uh, numbers. I like the minus 120 is about as far as I normally like to go in those placement markets just because it's one guy versus the field. But in this matchup at minus 135, what do you think of it? Uh, between Grio and Poston. 
it's too much juice for me to feel comfortable. I do think you're on the right side of the wager. Like if we throw odds to the side for a second, I'll take the Grio side. Uh, safety in my model is really the indicator of exactly what you were talking about of these two guys going in opposite directions. We have Grio inside the top five of my model when trying to find safety for this event. Poston slips outside the top 70 there. I do think, though, that there are some metrics for Poston for reasons to believe that he could put the pieces together. And and that goes beyond, like, I'm never a course history person. Like, I don't want to look at what he did of winning this event and say, like, oh, well, obviously he's a good fit here. I don't believe people that win tournaments are always a good fit there. Like, sometimes people get lucky and win an event and they gain 10 strokes putting. But when the metrics actually make sense and start pushing you in that direction, like, there were some things to like about Poston. The upside in my model sees that upside that you want to find for a golfer that can put the pieces together. He's number one in my model on strokes gain total at TPC courses over the past two years of how I've ran my numbers there. Uh, he's inside the top 25 for me. When you take these easy courses and these shorter courses and you combine them into one rank there, and he's 22nd for me in weighted strokes gain total. So, um, I mean, obviously that's like a lot of me defending posts in there for me to say, I still think the right side of this wager, if both of these bets were plus a hundred and we could just pick who we thought was going to win. But um, I am, it's kind of a similar answer to Montgomery. I'm not necessarily looking to take on Poston or looking to take on Montgomery, which is just going to make it harder for me to try to find a matchup against them. But I, I do think you're on the right side. Yeah. I'm not going to bet much on this one, but I do project this one closer to minus 175 for Grio. I really like that safety that he offers. Spencer, any other bets in any market that you'd like to touch on before we get into our rapid fire portion? No, I, I would, I mean, I'm sure we'll touch on this during the rapid fire portion, but I would love to get your thought process on this. So let's say, just for the sake of this, let's say like the 30-ish to one range. So anybody who is around that 30 to one price. Who would you believe should be the favorite in this tournament? Um, we'll forget odds of what they actually are. If you had to pick somebody and you were just given a random price on them, that would make sense. Uh, who would you be betting near the top? I would put Chris Kirk, according to the odds I'm seeing on Bet365 right now. Um, I just think he's the best golfer among those guys, and he's in really good form right now. I would also put Emiliano Grillo in that conversation as well. Uh, He's also one of those players who won recently, so I'm afraid to bet him again because I don't think he's in that tier of player, but that's why I like the safety for him this week. Other guys I consider, Adam Hadwin right there. Um, you can make the argument for him over Kirk for me. Really solid form recently. Um, bounced back from that tackle at the Canadian Open like a champion, nearly won last week. Uh, I think he's ready for it right now. Eric Cole, really like him as well. A lot of those guys um, I think you can make an argument for. What about you? Um. I mean, so if I'm including everybody, let's just say like from the entire board, 30 to one or down, like I think the mm. two favorites should probably be Cameron Young and Adam Hadwin. So I guess to your Adam Hadwin answer, he's probably the best actual value that you can find on the board at the prices. Like I believe bet three, six, five has him boosted in one of those specialty markets um, at 33 to one. Uh, I mean, I think that's an intriguing price for him. Like that's probably higher than it should be. So I also don't have a problem with Hadwin, but like, as I keep going back to add him as another name into that 30 to one list, give or take that I think have has value. And that's kind of why for me, I'm just going to wait and see how this tournament plays out to start. I think you brought up a really good point. Like, let's see where all these players are. There's nothing wrong with grabbing somebody at 20 to one, you know, at a certain point in this event, like there's always value to be found. I don't want to rush this card out as much as I have in the past to where I don't have the ability to jump in if I do find value here. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Eric Cole is also an intriguing name. Like, I don't want to get there at that price, but those feel like the, like, I would rather, I guess this is a another controversial take. Like, I would rather bet Cameron Young, Adam Hadwin, Eric Cole than to bet Russell Henley. Make, make, I guess Denny McCarthy, I could get more into it with it, but like I would rather have those names than Henley, who at most books would be listed as either the favorite or the second favorite. So um, I guess that's kind of where I stand on this card this week. Uh, I missed this guy just a moment ago, but I want to say Nick Taylor at 42 to one. I think he should be 30 to one in this field. I am afraid of that recent win. I don't think he's that guy this week. Uh, I believe it might be his first start since. Um since that win let me double check that 
Um, it's his second start. He missed the cut at the U.S. Open. But really strong approach play there. Not a great course fit for him with him being a shorter player. I think Nick Taylor profiles as good as really anybody outside of the top three guys, Cameron Young, um, Denny McCarthy, and Russell Henley. So I, I'm confused why he's 42 to one. I just think people aren't don't want to bet him. But if you want to bet him this week, I like it a lot. Um, let's talk about the top of the board, McCarthy, Henley, and Cameron Young. If I gave you a 21, 20 to one ticket on any of these guys, which one would you take? Yeah, I kind of jumped a little bit ahead of the segment here, but uh, I would take Cameron Young. Um, I think at this point, I might need people to give me wagers on Cameron Young. Like I, I might need to be <laughs> cut off for myself because uh, it's bad. Like I, I made this joke and I don't know if it's, I don't know if I have a Cameron Young problem or I have a Paul Tesori problem with him <laughs> on Cam Young's bag and him on Webb Simpson's bag. And it seems like Paul Tesori is always in the mix for me, but it's a really nice course fit for Cameron Young. Like I know the recent form isn't going to be what you want to see. And we were never going to get a price that like, I think this is probably as high as you could possibly get on him in this scenario, which is what makes it intriguing that I actually think he can win this contest. But uh, he has a distance, obviously, of what you're going to want to find. He's the number one player in my model for weighted proximity at this course. Uh, larger than average greens, maybe that helps him in these spots to where it's really interesting. Like the one thing that always makes him pop in my model is when putting from five to 10 feet becomes something that becomes noteworthy for me. Uh, he jumps massively from given that distance. That's why I liked him at the match play. It's why I like him at some of these opportunities where he can maybe make a few more putts. But I don't know. I mean, I couldn't get there with the price that he had, but like, if I'm directly comparing those three, I don't, I, I'm never a Denny McCarthy person. I do think he's okay this week compared to what I normally would think. I'm generally out on Henley. Like to me, Henley doesn't have the ability to make enough putts to win this contest is what, was what I'm afraid about. I think he's fine. Like from a safety number, my model likes him, but there is just way too much of the moving in the wrong direction to win this event in my numbers. And then uh, Cameron Young kind of gave me the perfect middle of everything I was looking for, where the upside's there, the safety is, yeah, going to be a problem, but I, I'm okay trying to put that together for the golfer who does rank number one in my model in birdie or better percentage in this field. So if he can make putts from five to 10 feet, he's number one in birdie or better percentage already. I think it's a nice course fit for him. Uh, I will also be very upset if Cameron Young wins at this price and I wasn't on him, but I guess that's the nature of this business at this point. Yeah, I think. Cameron Young is the class of this field when he plays his best. I don't think this is the best golf course fit for him just because his distance uh, isn't as big of an advantage over the other players, although it will be an advantage. It just won't be as big of an advantage as it would be at like a U.S. Open venue, for example. Um, Denny McCarthy and Russell Henley in much better form. I think they're much better putters right now, especially McCarthy, of course. But I would take the 20 to 1 ticket on McCarthy if it was offered to me. But let's talk about a guy who is tougher to put a price on this week, uh, Ludwig Aber. We just don't have the data on him so far. And last week was awesome. Led the field in strokes gained off the tee at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. I believe he was a one shot off the lead after two rounds and then fizzled on the weekend to a tie for 40th. He's 27 to 1 on bet 365. I got a feeling that they boosted his odds up the board because they just didn't want him to be a huge liability this week. Some more of a risk management for them rather than them pricing him at this because they project him at this number or this implied odds. What do you make Ludwig Aber this week and what number would you need to bet him? I would probably like what I make him is going to be lower just because we have such a small sample size here and mm -hmm. uh, I have not been regressing his totals. So like I'm running him as if he's a player that's been two years inside my model. So gotcha. I mean, he's really skyrocketing for me in the way that I'm running my math. Like I'm not going to bet him at what I think the actual fair price inside my model would be, but I don't know. I mean, if you could give me 30 to one on him, that would probably be the point where I might consider it in this field, because I do think he is an extremely talented, like that's an obvious statement to make, but he is one of the best golfers I have seen in quite some time enter the PGA tour. I guess the one downside to this answer, which would go back to the point that you keep bringing about with a lot of these players, he does lose some of his advantage off the tee. Like I would argue that last week's venue was a better fit for him than this week's courses. It's a weaker field that he gets this time around. So you got to adjust the numbers based off of that. Uh, I don't think he wins though. So, I mean, it's not going to be a number that I'm going to find like, unfortunately, but uh, I don't know. I mean, if he pushes to 35, 40, I mean, I guess we could have a different discussion there. 
Gotcha. I totally agree with all, with that assessment. Um, we talked a lot about the guys between 30 and 50 to one so far in this podcast. So let's jump down a little bit farther. Uh, if I gave you an outright ticket on either of these Texas Longhorns at 70 to one to win the tournament, uh, Bo Hostler, who currently is 60 to one on bet three, six, five and the Gim Reaper, Doug Gim at 55 to one, which one would you take? I'll take Doug Gim. Um, I do think this is an okay venue for Hostler. I'm never really like it's as I say, I'm not a Denny McCarthy backer. I'm very rarely a Bo Hostler backer myself with it. I like Gim's ability to ball strike. And if he can just get hot with the putter, anything is possible for one of these sorts of courses. And like he's fifth in my model in strokes gained T to green over the last 24 rounds. Um, you know, he's inside the top 16 of my model when looking at these easy courses historically. 12th in my model for weighted scoring. You're going to have some potential problems that come into play when we talk about the putter. Like he's 52nd in my model when combining GIR percentage plus putting. That also comes from a guy who's ninth in my model just when I just only take the GIR percentage of it. So for him to move the 52nd kind of shows the lack of putting nature that he brings to the table. But as I keep saying, like I don't necessarily think you have to be this great putter to win here. I just want to find certain statistics that I think are reasons why you can pop. And I don't know if he has enough of that here for where I believe he can win the event. Like he does have negative trajectory to win, which is an alarming answer for me to give. But if I'm directly comparing the two, I would rather take my chances with Gim. All right. Bigger option here with four guys, uh, Gordon Sargent, Ryan Palmer, Adam Svensson, Sam Stevens. They're all 70. They're all 65 to one on bet three, six, five. If I gave you an 80 to one ticket on one of those guys, which one would you take? So it wouldn't be Sam Stevens. Um, it's hard for me to imagine that Sargent wins at 20 years old or whatever he actually is right now. I mean, he's just so young at this point. Like Palmer is getting a lot of respect in the market. Um, I guess I would take Adam Svensson just kind of down to the same ball striking answer that I just gave for Doug Gim here. Uh, the one difference is Svensson actually does have that upside in my model when you're trying to find win equity for this contest. And I believe he's the only one of the three that actually got that boost inside of my sheet for that. So uh, I will take Adam Svensson. Ryan Palmer's got some really solid approach play numbers recently. Uh, the putter just hasn't cooperated for him. Just a guy who I want to say he's the guy who's played in the farthest back John Deere Classic among the, the players I've looked at this week. He played here in 2004, uh, also finished P20 here in 2005. Uh, so he has, he's been here quite a bit, hasn't been here since 2019. Just an interesting guy to follow around, has kept his card for 20 straight years on the PGA Tour, just ridiculously tough to do. I don't know even like where I'm giving this answer, unfortunately, but I think Ryan Palmer, and maybe not from an outright answer, I think he's intriguing this week. Maybe he's a DFS play, maybe he's more mm -hmm. in that area, but... Uh, I did like Ryan Palmer from like an initial modeling perspective. Spencer, I'll get you out of here on this last question. Uh, if I give you a hundred to one outright ticket on Callum Taron, Lucas Glover, SH Kim, or Nick Hardy, which one would you take? I, I mean, I guess we'll have to go with the hammer kit of last week of Callum Taron. Uh, the ball striking that he is putting together has been astronomical here recently. Like every single tournament, uh, he is in like the top 10 of my model looking when you add together strokes gain off the tee plus strokes gain approach. All you need is just him to get hot on the greens. And he is the type of golfer to me who can win at this tournament. Um, he never grades overly well for me because I run things from such a long duration of time. But even with the way that I run my data, he was still a top 30 golfer for me this week, which was a noteworthy enough return to where I considered him in different areas. Like I don't have a problem with anybody who wants to use him this week, even as an outright wager. I think he's a fine play. So even though he lost over eight strokes putting last week, he still cashed our top 40 ticket. Thanks to Nick at T 29. If he gets that putter figured out, watch out. He could win T six here last year at the John Deere classic as well. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Links and Locks presented by Bet365. As a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION, that's A-C-T-I-O-N, to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free.
Be sure to check out our actionnetwork.com and action app and action app for all of our great golf betting and DFS content. Matt Vincenzi's preview for the John Deere Classic is already up there. We'll have our best bets out on Wednesday afternoon instead of the normal Tuesday with this being the holiday. And we'll have some more content out there on Wednesday as well. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Roberto A213. Spencer is at T Off Sports. Our guy Nick is at Sticks Picks. That's Sticks with an X. Uh, Spencer, where else can we find your content before our next show next week? Yeah, as always, you can find my model over on Twitter at Tioff Sports, as Roberto just mentioned there. I will have an article out tomorrow over here on Action Network discussing I keep promising head-to-head wagers and I keep not finding in tournament round one plays. And that kind of goes back to, I just think these boards have been really difficult this past month and a half, two months here. Hopefully there's a round one wager. If not, there will be a couple more names that maybe we didn't mention on this show that I will try to get to. But uh, yeah, if you're if you're not doing that, you can always find like I, I know I always get messages from people uh, like where your head to head plays at. You can get the majority of them over here at Action Network. So be sure to check that out. Awesome. Looking forward to reading that article tomorrow. Uh, big thanks to you, Spencer, for hopping on. Really enjoyed the conversation today. Um, Want to give a big shout out to our production team. Matt Mitchell, David Payne for doing everything uh, to help set us up and get us going. Uh, also want to shout out our producer, Noah Niederhofer, for taking the time to edit this podcast and get it up today, uh, this afternoon. So big shout out to him and all the hard work he does uh, for this podcast. And thanks, of course, to all of you, the listeners. And here's to hoping you hit the green at the John Deere Classic this week. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.